0: Welcome again to the Alex and More podcast and tonight we have Mr. Jeff Moore, DPT, also known as Mr. Ice Frazier, all right? Yes, ma'am. Man, he does everything. Teaching, coaching, being a super dad. What else? CrossFit, what else?
1: Yeah, I mean my primary roles are are trying to steer the ice ship, you know, it's gotten quite a bit bigger over the past few years, so that's turning into a full-time job in itself. Um, I'm also a partner in Onward Physical Therapy. So we've got 23 clinics now. We add about one every couple months. So um, totally out-of-network, cash-based practice. that's scaling up around the country. So that's been super, super exciting. And, and of course, works well as we train folks in ICE and they like that way of practicing. We help facilitate their journey and onwards. those two things work together nicely. And then... I teach for South College, so I'm a professor down at South College in their doctorate program of physical therapy. So I teach their MSK courses down there, and that's been I've been doing that now since 2016, uh, full time since 2021, and that's been a really fun journey as well. And then, yeah, like you mentioned, in my free time, I coach uh, varsity tennis for both my son's team and my daughter's team. So uh, that actually is more time consuming than you would think. And so my my days are stretched thin, but there's nothing in there I don't absolutely love. So it's been a great ride. We have so 24 hours
0: in a day. When do you sleep?
1: <laughs> hey, I try to prioritize that. I, I really try <laughs> to, um, I, I'm really, really careful with my time. I, I try to only put it in buckets that matter to me. Um, and that's been a decent strategy thus far.
2: And, and along that, you had mentioned that if it was something, one of your tweets was, if it's something that's important um, that you don't want to do later on in the day, then you've got
1: to make sure that you do it first thing in the morning. Did I get that right? Alex, I, I, I ride or die by that tweet, man. Like the more you want, the more you don't want to do something and the more important it is the earlier it gets scheduled. Right. And like, I, I really recommend to any listeners who, you know, I mean, we, we all have so many irons in the fire and the balancing act can be a challenging one. And one of the best strategies is when you're, when your attention and your acuity is high, do the thing that you know is going to be a bit of a, a, bit of a grind, like get that heavy lift done And then as your day goes on, taper it into more dynamic things where you're doing meetings and maybe busy work that's not quite as attention sucking, like that ability to, to really stratify your day, I think really matters, especially when the years start stacking up.
2: So what is that one thing for you?
1: So it's usually some sort of like a, like a project of like putting, creating content I am not a natural, like whether it's creating reels or writing blogs or like putting together big chunks of content is not my genius. I would much rather be in front of people or selling something or in a meeting or encouraging somebody. I love that kind of stuff, but just focusing on one task in articulating a big project that takes a lot of my energy. And so that I get up, double espresso, sit out of the computer and do that thing every day.
0: But no, Jeff, that right. is content creation. Your story is content creation. What you're selling to people in terms of ice physio and onward, that's content
1: creation, just that tweet you
0: made. That's content creation.
1: That's For sure. To <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. That more dynamic organic content is so much more natural to me versus like having to put something inside the buoys and like put out a specific project and come to completion on that is a bit more of a heavy lift, but they both got to get done
0: very true very true
1: and people will connect with you more when you're being your authentic
0: self just telling them and advising them what to do prioritizing totally Totally.
2: absolutely i mean for me i i have to for me it's a workout Mm. because the way my day is structured between patient care dad duties and everything that happens i'm like if i don't get this done in the morning it's not going to get done. And then I just feel shitty. Like, mm-hmm. I feel shitty because I didn't accomplish it. I feel shitty because I don't get the benefits of that particular workout. Um, so for me, it's like, you know, I wake up 445, have my espresso, yep. you know, get get everything ready, and then I'm rolling, you know, which is why today, uh, before we came on, I was telling Jeff, I'm like, man, I'm running on fumes. But, um, <laughs> you know, you got to do what you got to do. Yep. Well, was your workout today, Alex? Uh, today was upper body. So I do everything uh, as you can probably see I've got the Peloton bike and the tread uh behind me so everything is usually just out of Peloton so I'll do their strength training mixing the the running and the biking. So yeah, today was was upper body. Um which with Adrian. So With Adrian's cool dude. This. Although he's yeah, on I, the I sideline. A- he just had surgery.
0: Oh wow. I did he uh, had a hike with Chris.
2: again
0: i did a hike with kristen oh did you yeah i like
2: kristen this ratchet mom club (laughs)
0: yep (laughs) but jeff i saw some photos with you like lifting um the other day and i was like "Hmm, wow he's he's really stacking up so like what's your personal best right now
1: (laughs) oh geez that yeah it depends on the lift Um, but i certainly love I, I, for years I did marathons and a lot of endurance training and I, and I still do a marathon every year, every fall I do a marathon to make sure I keep up my cardio engine. But I have really, as I kind of look at the science and what we tend to lose as we get older, like I definitely prioritize now more barbell training and more explosive activities and things that as you start to, I'm in my mid forties now. So like, as those years creep by. Some of that sarcopenia, and you look at some of those areas where, like, we lose some of that stuff. I really want to try to hold the line, and so I, I try to get in the gym with with heavy weights, be it kettlebells or barbells, or you know, do things that that challenge me from a resistance perspective. At least most days, um, not all, but at least five days a week.
0: So, Alex and I are both home health physical therapists, and I've been seeing some of the reels that uh, your team is uh, putting out. Uh, even uh, Dustin, yep, uh, encourage, encouraging older adults, older and weak. Um, so it's, it amazes me because one of the pet peeve, one of our past guests, uh, Cindy Craft has, is the low dosage of exercises that we as home health therapists traditionally give. Mm-hmm. So do you have any programs in ice physio that's geared towards specifically clinicians practicing in home health? to step up and better those exercises for
1: aging adults. I don't oh, want to gosh, say older yeah.
0: because like you, I'm in my mid forties.
1: Yeah. I admit it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mo, absolutely. So our modern management of the older adult division is essentially that, right? So if you look at ice physio, like if you zoom out and look at the whole company, what we really are is we're a company that, develops clinicians to use a fitness forward approach, regardless of age and stage, right? So like we've got our pregnancy and postpartum group who shows how to bring proper dosing into the pregnant and postpartum division, uh, area or patient population. We have, of course, our clinical management of the fitness athlete that targets the recreational athlete. Then we have modern management of the older adult that brings that same fitness forward approach into the older adult specific space. So like acknowledging the challenges of polypharmacy and the unique things that come along with some of those older adults and the conditions and why they're seeing you, how do you get over those hurdles and still give them a stimulus that actually results in that adaptive response you're looking for so that we're not just going through the motions, we're legitimately building stronger humans.
0: Um, What if that person hasn't like worked out in years and has like a couple or 3 comorbidities like COPD, CHF, how would you motivate an individual like that to pick up a five pound kettlebell and lift
1: like three times a week? (laughs) Yeah, so kind of two things in that space. So first of all, in some ways it's easier, right? Because they have to do a lot less to get the adaptive response because right now they're not doing anything. So in some ways the hurdles kind of lower but then the key is, can you show them why it's going to change their life? Right? Like, can you connect, Hey, if you could pick up that 53 pound kettlebell, you could go back to gardening. Cause you just told me that you can't pick up the mulch or the bird seed or whatever, we can get you over that hurdle. Like if they can make the connection of like, Oh, if I can trust this person and I can get to that point where I can lift that thing. I could go back to doing that other thing that I've given up on or that I love. So like, can you create that connection so the person gets emotionally invested and then make it feel safe and build that trust. And when those two things combine, magic happens. I agree. Absolutely. It,
2: it, it reminds me of, uh, I think it was like a physio commercial in Europe within the last couple of years where the older gentleman's just training, 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 training. And at, towards the end of the commercial, we figure out that he was training to be with his grandkids, if I remember correctly. He was to,
1: put, to yeah. help his granddaughter put the angel on top of the tree, right? To lift her yeah. up at the yeah. end? Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. So it, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's making those connections, making them to, to something that applies and is meaningful to them, um, and then getting them to buy in. Because once you get them to buy in, you've got them. You know, like you yeah. can get them to pretty much do anything. Because they know that if I do this, if I listen to Jeff or whoever, um, that I'm going to get to lift my grandchild, you know, to put the the star on the tree or to get the, the gardening done or whatever it may be. Um, so buy-in is absolutely, it's making that connection. It's telling that story that they can buy in and see how they play a part in that story and, and how it becomes meaningful to them.
0: Absolutely. So Alex... You are in sales because you also sell homes. Jeff just admitted that he loves sales. Loves sales. But physical therapists, in general, hate selling. I got my experience from selling appliances at Home Depot because I worked on commission. So I'm good at it. But people naturally hate selling, especially if they think that the title and the letters behind their name is supposed to automatically say, hey, I'm good at this. So... Shouldn't we be targeting therapists to teach them how to be better marketers or sellers, or is
1: that something that can be taught, or it's? Oh, it could be taught. Naturally. Yeah, it, it can be taught. <laughs> I, I think not only can it be taught, but I think people are better at selling than they give themselves credit for. Everybody, when you say sales, they think about like. You know, selling used cars or selling cold calling and, and knocking on doors. And th- that's a small part of selling, right? If you look at what we do, if you can just drill down a little bit further into the why someone's coming to see you, right? Get past the superficial goal and keep drilling and keep drilling until they say, you know what, honestly. And then whatever comes after that, right? Like when they tell you that really emotional goal and you drill all the way down to that, all of a sudden you realize that. If you can't sell them on what you're going to do, they're going to miss out on that part of their life. And that brings gravity and purpose to it. And if therapists could see how noble that is, this is not cold calling and trying to sell vacuums or what have you, you know, door to door. This is using your earned skill to give someone a new lease on life. And if you start looking at selling in that light, it becomes so much more appealing. So I think physios need to reframe the why behind selling. And I think everything could change from there.
2: And on the topic of selling, again, looking at your timeline, which which I think is like a gold mine um, when you go down. <laughs> it that, is, that it earth, is. <laughs> you know, you mentioned, again, selling to, to some of our younger colleagues. You know, we've just had a, a group of colleagues who passed their boards and, and are making their way into, you know, establishing themselves in our profession. And you said that the younger therapist or those who've only been a couple of years in the profession need to focus more on selling themselves to their clients, their consumers, and not so much selling themselves to other clinicians. Um, could you expand on that? Because I 100% agree with it. Uh, but, yeah, that was but my, that was my know,
0: biggest lesson, biggest breakthrough.
2: I, I, I want to know like what kind of what where that tweet came from, and then kind of where you were at with it.
1: You know, I think we spend our whole academic lives trying to out-compete each other or impress each other or win awards or get valedictorian or you get in this habit of trying to out-compete your buddy or earn their respect or, and that's all fine. I mean, the system is what it is, but the problem is if you keep doing that, If you get into your career and you make it all about trying to accumulate credentials that let's be honest, only your buddies care about, right? Patients don't know what these letters mean. They don't, it has no relevance to them. So you're, you're accumulating these things and going to these conferences and doing these presentations, but for who, like, at what point are you going to turn and be patient facing and say, I actually did all of this to serve you. Like you're the one that matters. What do you care about? And what they care about is, can they trust you? What they care about is, can you be patient with them and guide them on this journey? Can you not give up on them? Can you? These are not things that you accumulate letters doing. These are not things that your colleagues necessarily are gonna recognize you for. But at some point, you've gotta turn away from that and say, I, I accumulated all of this knowledge and skill to be able to change people's lives. Maybe it's time I actually focus on gaining their admiration not somebody on the other side of the country who has nothing to do with my actual purpose, but it's hard to get out of that habit. But the earlier people do it, the better their careers are. I know that for sure.
0: I, I, I'm going to 100% agree with that. Cause you know, at first, especially when I got on Twitter, I was so caught up in being judged by my colleagues that, you know, but after a while I was like, you know, screw it. I'm not going to say some of the words that Alex of he but <laughs> um, but it, it is, it is groundbreaking when you, you release and you get that freedom to actually work for the people that you want to serve. Um, so all the arguments that people go back and forth on, if it's manual, if it's this, if it's that, I'm like, is it actually, is that conversation actually making a patient better? So right. I, I absolutely agree with you 100%. Yes. If you're in school, yes, try to impress your professors and do well. So you can pass. Once you pass, do whatever the hell you want.
1: There you so. go. <laughs>
0: Amen. So that's that's just my advice. Um, since Alex is talking about your timeline, there was one thing that really stuck out to me about, because it's something that I'm contemplating even with uh, my contractors. You know, mm. you want a lot of new grads or younger therapists want upward mobility. But in the field of physical therapy, that's very limited. So, as you said, positions available post phys- just general physical therapist is directors. But when you get into being a director, you have to handle a lot of BS. <laughs> and you're taking away your the best front facing therapist to sit behind a desk and do I don't wanna say dull work, but it's work that's needed to keep the pillars up, but it's not where their strengths are. So how can we as a profession, because you are growing, you guys are growing well, our want is growing pretty big, and I wanna come back to that. Sure. Um, what opportunities would you say we can create, as an owner, um, for therapists that are great front-facing um, clinicians? For them to feel like they're moving upward and they're not stuck
1: yeah i mean i think the biggest part is that we that we compensate them well for the awesome care they deliver right like i think what, the problem with the clinic director thing and i you know i i just i've been trying to be very open about let's normalize saying no to promotions that only come with more work and not more reward like i want to encourage young therapists it really bothers me when these big companies Kind of, you know, dangle that carrot out there of this title, but don't, don't actually deliver the goods. And now this person's got more work. They didn't really want in the first place and no more reward, but they're more tired and seeing less people and having less purpose. And this isn't, this is not where you want to wind up. So if you are going to accept this promotion, I think you need to be really firm about what exactly am I getting? Not, not after I go before I go, I want to see it in writing how much more. How, how, what, what percentage, what do I get for folks underneath me? Like we need to be very, very calm and collected in these environments where you get kind of allured by that title and make darn sure you're actually getting more than some extra letters because those letters are not going to save you when you're burned out. And so I think, first of all, be diligent. And when you, when you encounter that offer or that conversation, stay calm, stay cool, stay collected, get the details and stay level-headed. On the other side of that, when we're taking care of our people and we're bringing on employees, make sure that they are getting the vast majority out of every patient they're seeing, right? So like, I think we look at the models that exist now in physical therapy and you see the best therapists making the least money because they're not doing admin stuff. And to me, that seems so backwards. So I think in our companies, we gotta make sure like, if you're seeing a person and doing a great job, You should be getting 50 or 55% of the take home of that visit. And then if, if you scale that to 30 people a week, I mean, you're deep into six figures, right? So like you should be able to get the upward mobility financially just off of doing a great job at the thing that you truly love. Let's keep that door open for people. So they don't get baited into these other positions that probably have less they love and more work. They don't want involved with them.
2: How Uh, much of that? Yeah. How, how much gonna, of that? Gonna, how how much start, of that would you? How much of that would you attribute to the fact that, if I understood correctly, Onward is out of network cash based. Is that correct? Yep. So, would you say that in that type of system, uh, compensating your your employees, the ones that are performing well and all that, in that of a in that system, is it easier, harder, and what would that potentially look like? with your you know, in-network insurance, primarily based outpatient uh, facilities?
1: So I'm just gonna say this as opposed to bat- batting around the bush, right? Like I think we have to be a lot more discriminating on insurance contracts that we're willing to accept, period, across the profession. We have to say, look, we're worth X amount and we simply will not work for less. And we've gotta hold that line In in that if we do that, then it makes both environments very feasible to do what I was talking about earlier. If we don't do that and we take on contracts that are completely disrespectful to our knowledge, expertise, and value in the system. Well, then of course we have a problem, but it's not a problem of our ability to pay the person properly. It's a problem of our ability to be discriminating and hold the line. When an insurance contract comes to you that, you know, is not viable and is not reasonable. So the, the issue, is in accepting contracts that are disrespectful to our value and that translates into an issue of people getting burned out and poorly paid, but we can solve the problem by saying, look, we hold a certain bar that we demand to get paid. It's our service, our expertise. We are worth X. We d- we decide not you. And then we don't accept insurance contracts below that. And eventually if we all do that, These insurance, these insurance folks are going to have to come back around and say, "Look, we can't get any of our people PT because you all said no." So, as long as we all hold (laughs) the line, the future's bright. Now, if people, as you said, as long as
0: we all hold the line, long as as we hold the line, uh, yeah.
1: And I see your facial expression, Mo, and I feel you. I don't know if we can do it either, but I know that individually we can, and hopefully collectively we can. What would you say? Well, I'm, I'm gonna, yeah.
0: I was going to give an example, right? Um, Because we're trying to get credential with some insurances for certain things. And one of the offers, I think, was like $75 per visit. It doesn't matter if you do like uh, one unit, two units, three units, four units. I'm like, wait, isn't that less than what we pay like the therapists? So why would I accept that contract? But you look around and like there are 10 other clinics or 10 other people accepting it. So a lot of us as physical therapists go into business without knowing numbers and you run into trouble when you realize that, wow, I'm not really making any money off for this because I do not know my cost per therapist or cost of operation. And yep. then you start screaming, oh, the APTA is not doing anything for me. So that was, that was just, my, just my take. I was like, man, they accepted this contract. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah.
2: But, but My other, other, than, other than not knowing your numbers, right, because
1: mm.
2: it doesn't matter whether you're in physical therapy or you're running a lawn service or whatever business you're running, like you've got to know your cost per unit, right? Like whatever it costs you to provide that service, whether you've got one employee, 10 employees, 50, whatever, it doesn't matter. Like you've got to know that number. But is there another reason that you guys believe we have? clinics, therapists taking these bad contracts, because it seems like this is something we've been talking about for years, right? So Desperation. If it's that,
1: desperation.
2: That- yeah, yeah. really,
1: The it, yeah, desperation is probably the right word. I really don't think, and part of it is because a lot of physios that are in charge in some of these larger organizations are from an older school of thought. The idea of not doing it is almost incomprehensible because ev- back in the day, everybody did it. And so now they don't see a clear path forward on how we are going to explain to the consumer that we're worth paying out of pocket for because they never had to do it before. So I think they just can't make that connection. Whereas we in the newer generation, certainly those who are coming behind us into the field they're much more aware of like, I'm going to have to convince the consumer that I'm worth 150 bucks an hour. I know that I am. I look at other things they are paying for at that level. I see what I provide. I know that I can do that. I've got to learn how to, so they're coming out ready to, but the people oftentimes in authority can't see the light because it simply isn't a part of their lived experience. And I think that's where a lot of the disconnect is. But I think what you're seeing happen is these younger folks are all opening their own companies and you're just seeing this mass rush of we're going to charge what we're worth and we can do it. And we're going to prove that it's worth it to patients. And I think it's a really optimistic looking future.
0: Besides the desperation to Alex, what I think also contributes to that is the lack of belief in themselves of going directly to the consumer and selling Yep. because I, I, look, I looked at the numbers and i looked at the clinics that were doing it like accepting like six adults from united healthcare i was like this is some bs like i'm like Who the hell are you keeping your doors open mm-hmm. like for
2: real so well, I mean, you start, I, I, you, start I, I know. you know you can't make more time in a day so you just start jam piling more more people in at a you know per time period yeah um, you know our profession has always been historically one that is reliant on others, right? Like we need referrals. We need this. We need that. Like we can't just say, hey, I'm here. I can do this for you. And I think to Jeff's point is like we're getting some of the newer age and the younger ones behind us that are like, you know, F that. Like I don't need you. I can just come straight to to the forefront, provide the service, give you the value. This is what it's going to cost. And we all know that you know, the, the, the saying I've heard Jerry say it and other people is like, you know, price is what you pay, value is what you get. And mm-hmm. those two things don't necessarily go hand in hand. You know, they don't equal each other. Um, people will pay in in crazy amounts of money for things that they value, um, you know, and, and everybody's value system is a little bit different.
0: Yeah. Uh, I heard Chante um, uh, Coffey, the Movement Maestro, say that PT is a grudge purchase. Like most people don't go to PT unless they're injured. Mm. Uh, Some people go to PT just to be in the company of other people that will work out. But we have to, I don't know if reinvent the wheel is is a term, but like what makes the ice program attractive is that you see people doing CrossFit. So it's like a blend of of stuff. So people are like, hey, I can do physical therapy, yet I can work out and do CrossFit. Um, If we not make home health look, boring oh gosh i hope i don't get slumped for this (laughs) (laughs) but like the low dosing stuff but have people be able to do things and achieve things at home that they want to achieve that they haven't done for a while it's going to make it attractive people are going to want more therapists to come into the home make house calls sexy again that's that's what that's what we do in 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 home health but Mm -hmm. again people's inability to trust themselves on how to market and sell themselves and also the profession I think has us in this mess but I love the new movement by the new physios that are graduating I, I just love it and those are the type of people that we tend to attract at all companies because we want those independent-minded driven motivated people speaking about that what's your opinion <laughs> would you hire based on skill or soft skills
1: Did you say, did you say skill or soft skills?
0: Like hot skill, like somebody who's going through like residency training.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't need any of that. I don't, I don't need any of that. Yeah. You, you give me soft skills and hustle all day. I'll take care of the rest, right? We can train all the other stuff. That stuff's easy. We can show you where to put your hands for manipulation. We can show you where to put the needles for needling. We can show you the settings, The tactical skills are easy. Caring about taking care of folks wanting to be an expert in hospitality right wearing your heart on your sleeve being encouraging making relationship that's that's what makes it all happen right so like i will forever take soft skills and hustle and i will teach the technical stuff i agree i agree
2: so jeff let's take it back a little bit tell us how ice came to be like what what you know because obviously you saw Hey, there's this need here that I can fulfill, but how did you get to that point that said, how did that need even come up? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. And I, this could be a whole podcast episode, but there's, there's been, we got time, we got time. (laughs) There's been three really interesting phases of ice. So it started very organically. I was just working at a clinic in Michigan, and a few groups asked me to come present on some stuff. It was spinal manipulation, a few other things. I was in a fellowship program, so so I did. And I just I, I got a real rise. I thought it was fun. Yeah, you know, it was ener- it was energizing for everybody. And you know, it, people said, "Hey, would you come back? And would you do something different?" And so, kind of organically and slowly and unplanned, all of a sudden I was kind of teaching every now and then. And then I had a couple larger courses, and those folks offered me some you know contracts that actually made some money for the first time. And I was like wow, I could be honest, something here. And so I just started developing this company kind of around this idea of and not or, right? That, and Mo, you were speaking about this earlier. Like back then, everybody, I, I've been around for a while. So everybody was arguing that it was either manual therapy or exercise. And it was, it, I always... Remember, this doesn't make any sense. Like they both seem to have some value. Why would you not mix them together in the right proportion for a given patient to meet their expectations and where they are? Like, it. so I started kind of talking about a bit more of a liberal idea of combining all of this stuff. And the company grew for a couple of years as I began to teach around Michigan and Wisconsin. I couldn't afford a plane flight back then. So it was all driving everywhere. I was driving to Chicago. I was driving to Iowa. I couldn't, I couldn't fly anywhere. And then- in 20, in 20, I want to get the year right, I think it was 2015, is when I really started engaging with Mitch Babcock and Alan Frenendahl and eventually Zach Long. And they really showed me the light that where things were going with strength and conditioning. Like all the questions that were coming up in my course was around dosing and actually being experts in loading people. And again, Mo, some of the things you were talking about earlier as far as like getting that prescription right. And those gentlemen are just geniuses in that area. And so we began to pull that knowledge out of them and into our curriculum. And that's when we launched clinical management of the fitness athlete and everything changed because it was such an unexplored area in our profession where you combine manual therapy with psychologically informed frameworks with fitness forward practice. Like it just, it just hit right. And so that exploded. And then I met mm-hmm. Dustin Jones and we began talking about why couldn't you apply this to older adults, right? Like, why do we have to just be going after recreational athletes in middle age? And Dustin had already started the old, not weak in the one rep max living. And like, we said, you know what, we can apply a fitness forward approach that includes manual therapy skills that is psychologically informed to all of these different patient populations. And that's when everything just exploded. Because then we started organizing online and live courses across all these different demographics, Christina Previtt and Alexis Morgan started the pregnancy and postpartum totally fitness forward in the gym, working on impact training, curing leakage. Like just, we started realizing we can use this philosophy for everybody. And that's what got it to where it is today. Human buddy, human buddy. I see Alex, he started
0: from the bottom. Now he's here, but you you mentioned one person, Mitch. If I'm not mistaken, Mitch was a student at the time when you guys were started, right?
1: Yeah. So, so, so was Alan Frendel, our COO, they were both in the same class at the university of Michigan Flint, and they were in a virtual mentorship program that I had And they were students, but I couldn't help but notice. They knew a lot about this other stuff that a lot of folks were asking about. And so I began to pull that out of them a little bit. And then eventually kind of talk them into being teachers that they didn't feel quite ready for that. But I'm like, team, I I know what's out there. And you have knowledge that other people need. I know you're not experienced PTs, but this isn't about PT. This is about you bringing your barbell expertise and your strength and conditioning to physical therapists. And so that's when we got that launched. And that's that's when that, the rest is history.
0: All right, students, if you're listening, you hear them say it. Use what you got. Execute. It. Execute. Okay. <laughs> so that's that's great that um, your team has grown and that you recognize the talent in others and encourage them to come together. Um, I'm I'm so happy for Dustin and uh, Christina because I know they really were pushing the all nut week stuff. So when they teamed up with with you guys and it started spreading. Um, he found the right medium and the right village to help him with it. So, um, I definitely have to do take one of your courses, uh, soon because I am interested and hopefully I can get the rest of my contractors in there as well too. So yeah, yeah, please (laughs) do
1: great jobs. So
0: you studied teach at South college, um, that's in Tennessee, right?
1: Yeah, Knoxville,
0: Knoxville, but you guys just opened another campus in Atlanta.
1: Atlanta and and it's just about to start. So it'll, the first group will start in June. Um, and so that they will have one cohort at Knoxville. We have two, so we have a January and a June enrollment, whereas in Atlanta, they will have the one cohort, perhaps they'll build a two down the road, but it'll be one, um, to begin with. And what's so cool though, is first of all, it's two years, it's 23 months. Right. And you don't need to live there. So like I teach the hybrid program, hybrid program, (laughs) I teach right here. Right, I do do my eight weeks of MSK teaching and then we all fly to Knoxville and we show them all the hands-on stuff over 15 days, all the different courses. Then they all fly back. We fly back. We stay in our homes for months and teach and then we all meet back in Knoxville. And the success rate with that type of program has been good? Oh, it's been exceptional. I mean, we just got our 10-year CAPTI approval, which is the longest approval that you can obtain. Our NBTE pass rate is excellent. It's it's in the mid-high 90s ultimate pass rate. So it's been absolutely, and of course you get it done in two years and don't move there. Economically, students are in a really good position. They're out working that third year earning a salary. You know, we've got to figure out, Mo, we got to figure out this debt issue. And I think that getting students through faster, they can do the advanced training once they graduate in their own niche. Let's get them the basics fast and efficient, and then let them go and do their postgraduate training wherever they want to
0: i i agree and it's solving the problem as you said of um reducing student debt Mm -hmm. man although i didn't really graduate with much maybe this should have existed when we were in school alex right (laughs) yeah i
1: would have loved this to have existed
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah today's world is all about being efficient so however we can facilitate them getting you know getting out into the workforce getting figuring out what it is they want to do like you said give them the basics Give them what they need so that they can get out there. And, and then you just on the job training. Right. Because, you know, other other professions, other areas, it's like you got to figure it out kind of as you go. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have some failings, but, you know, there's no failing. It's just learning. Right. So you just got to keep learning, keep learning and, and go from there.
1: Yeah, make sure, make sure they're safe and have a basic skill set, right? And then the NBTE covers a lot of that and then let them go develop their niche area on the job. That's where that's where the real learning happens, right? Get your boots in the ground, throw it under the fire and figure it out and get some good mentorship. Yep, absolutely. You,
0: you guys are touching several pain points. Not only
1: are you reducing
0: the time it takes, mm-hmm. you're reducing the cost. Um, yep. Also, another pet peeve that a lot of students complain about is them having to pay universities, like a full year of tuition, but they're doing a full year of clinical rotations on pay, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: especially Mm -hmm. that third year. So
1: you guys just like kill three birds with one stone. In the way we try Um, to sit the way it's set up too, Mo that's exciting is all of our rotation, all of our, um, so we do, you have to have a rotation for acute care, um, hospital setting, those kind of things, because it goes along with that. Um, I think it's Q4, they do that in. Within for their outpatient stuff or their advanced neuro stuff or the areas where they're probably going to find themselves at home in and, and want to have their career in, those happen right at the end of year two. So literally, you, fin- you can do you can do a six month rotation at one spot, or you can do two three months. And right when it's done, the next week you graduate, and you can take boards early. So you go graduate, you can come right back to that job and keep seeing those same patients that you built that rapport with. So it actually onboards you into your position and builds your case patient load, so you can have a lot higher earning potential right away. So it's we try to organize it in a way that maximizes that that, that efficiency. Hmm. And this will help with rural areas
0: because a lot of people are complaining it's hard to staff. Yeah. So those rural areas, a lot of yeah. therapists owners are complaining it's hard to find people to work so Mm -hmm. this is a good idea so earlier today (laughs) I was having a discussion with um, another owner um, not home help but our patient and we were talking about rapid growth if we should be scared of it Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of people set goals to earn more money than they did the previous year but sometimes their systems can be flawed. And if you grow too quickly, you start seeing wider cracks in your foundation and you have to go back and try to fix, fix things. And I'm noticing that I have to go back and fix some things as well too. So with Onward making such like massive like growth, what are some of the lessons that you have learned as a partner?
1: Good question, Mo. So (laughs) I have a couple of comments on that. So the first one Mm. is, never. so from our perspective, and this Mm. is true in ICE as well, and the companies are so related because you know one is the training institution, the other one is where a lot of people from that institution want to go practice. So there's so much carryover, but at ICE, and I can sincerely tell you this, and this is from the bottom of my heart, and you can cross-check the facts on this statement. We have never set a financial goal in the history of the company never once never at a staff meeting have we ever said our goal is x we want to grow y we we have literally never in our history said that we will grow as much as excellence and perfect execution allows that's it that in oh, some t- sometimes that's fast sometimes that's slow it doesn't matter we will grow as fast as that is is that facilitates now carrying that onward same thing, right? The only reason it looks fast is because we train so many thousands of people at ICE that want to practice this way. So when we opened, there were so many people who were like, I've been looking for that forever. I'm in. So that facilitated early on a lot of well-trained people getting started. We're still kind of in that wave, but it, it'll slow down or maybe we'll find another great avenue or pipeline, but we will only do it we will only do it if excellence and perfect execution allow for it. So no financial oh, goals. I, I, I love that. I love that. Yep, We we never intentionally stifle nor stimulate growth. We simply look at, do we have a perfect person? And do we believe that we can do a perfect job in that geography? And if the answer is yes, we do it. If the answer is no, we don't. But it's never driven by a secondary financial goal ever.
2: That in Good. itself makes it organic. hmm because you're not there's no external pressures. There's no external criteria, right? So it's just yes. let's get it in the best situation that we can. If it's now, great. If we need to wait X amount of you know, months, year, whatever the case may be, then that's what we do because we're not pressured by anything. Yep. So yep.
0: Which 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 is kind of which kind of makes sense because I, I think a lot of owners have that financial goal. And when it's, it's not there, that's when they panic and become desperate and take this $60 a visit from United. Hockey. Yes. I'm calling them off, off.
1: (laughs) (laughs) but that's how it happens, right? You set these relatively (laughs) arbitrary financial goals. You start getting emotionally attached to them and then you start compromising your values to hit them. I mean, that is generally speaking the fall of most big companies, right? So if you don't resist that intentionally front of mind all the time, if you don't intentionally resist that and keep track of are we falling into that trap, it's a slippery slope where you can start making number projections and it starts sounding exciting to make that kind of money. You got to stay away from that stuff.
2: I I agree. You know, most people, I don't think necessarily go into business necessarily to say, I'm going to make X amount of dollars. Right. But along the way that slope just yeah get slippery get slippery. Mm-hmm. You start seeing numbers kind of come through. You start oh, wondering, hey,
1: you know, what if we did this and that number got even bigger? <laughs> yes. uh, the, the mind is a is a is an unruly animal up there.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta but, you gotta uh,
0: be disciplined, you gotta be disciplined. Mm-hmm. But I I can see why it's easy for you to be disciplined, seeing that you have to uh, I would say you prioritise, I wouldn't say multitask. Because when I honestly believe in multitasking, something suffers, whether it's just a little. So prioritizing is is good, and I, I'm working on doing that, like just staying in the moment and being present. A friend of mine was like, "Look, if you go out to eat, turn your phone down. Now there's a penalty if you turn your phone up. <laughs> that you pay." <laughs> so, but prioritizing is is key. So. I'm gonna to touch on something that Alex always touches on. Um, you're you're a business owner, a partner, a dad, super dad. We're gonna call you super dad. Uh, your spouse as well too, right? What's that? You're married as well too, right?
1: I was married. I have been married for a few years.
0: You haven't been married for a like few years. Yep. Um, so Alex always touches on having uh, support your support system. So how important was that for you during that time? And like now,
1: because then, and now, I mean, it's, it comes (laughs) down to good communication, right? Whatever your environment is, there's people around you, depending on you in a wide variety of ways. Right. And like, you can do a ton. I mean, you can do. I think people are afraid of the amount of work, but the amount of work really isn't the problem. And we could dive deeper into that. It's more about the purpose of the work, where it's going, how it's executed. But in this conversation, it's how well the people around you understand how and why you're doing what you're doing, what their role is, why it matters, right? Mm. You, you damn I'm sure <laughs> that, that, that when you say, I am going to be free, you are free, right? And, and you hold up the <laughs> commitment. But it is a team effort in all things. And it's driven by communication. And I think if you if you have good, clear communication, everybody understands we're not just doing this because we're greedy. We're not doing this, right, for stupid reasons. We're doing this for meaningful reasons. That's really helping a lot of people that you're a small part of that. That's the kind of stuff that makes it so much more doable to lift these heavy objects that oftentimes work feels like.
2: Absolutely. I I think you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you know, whether I, you know, because I always, I credit my wife. My wife is is a key part in what I get to do uh, professionally, personally, um, you know, as a father myself and all those things. But it's understanding why I'm doing what I'm doing and how it kind of uh, benefits the greater good right? You know, we, as a husband and wife, we have a a goal and in, in, in a direction that we're trying to go in. And this is a piece of that. And, and her understanding that and us communicating that to each other uh, is the same thing. Same thing for you. I mean, your kids are older, you're coaching them, sure. right? So them understanding like, hey, you're going to coach them, but I'm also doing these things over here. And when I do these things over here, it kind of helps us over here. Right. So yep. like, so that everybody understands and, and is on the same page, you know, I always, another analogy I like to use is the a bus a bus driver, right? We drive a bus, I need to make sure that everybody on my bus knows which way we're going, mm-hmm. but also that they're in the right seats so that they understand their position and their role and their value to what we're all doing collectively. Love that. You know, so it, it, it's important, you know, because like you said, it doesn't matter whether what it, what you're doing, you, you always have people involved that play a key part into what you're trying to accomplish. For sure. Um, so it, it, it's just very, very important to have that support group and and to have those conversations so that everybody understands what we're doing. But like you mentioned, holding up your end of the deal, you know, if you say that I'm going to be free or I'm going to do this, then you need to do that. Because if not, you can be taking, you, you're taking others for granted. You're not true to your word. That that can disrupt communication in itself. And then that's yeah. when problems <laughs> start, you know? For sure. So, but, but I wanted to get to, you know, you had mentioned you're coaching your, your kids' uh, high school tennis teams. And you're going to start coaching the, the girls as well. How does tennis, because you mentioned you played tennis pretty much a good amount of your life. Yeah. How has that factored into how you are as a business owner, as a therapist, if any.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think the honest answer is I probably need more time in this seat to give it real thought. Like how are these playing one, one against each other? I can certainly tell you, I don't know what tennis coaching has done for me as a business person yet, but I can certainly tell you that the business and mentoring has done a lot for me as a tennis coach. Like being able to look at this team, and understand the different needs of of my players, right? And think about where our resources are going. Like, it's always all the same, right? It doesn't matter what game you're playing. It's always the same. You have a certain amount of resources. You have a certain goal. You've got to communicate well. Are we all on the same page? Is everybody motivated, right? Do people have the resources that they need to lean on someone? Is that available? Like, it's so funny. That every game is the same. It, I don't care if you're coaching tennis or running a con company, it's all the same. You're trying to get to a certain endpoint. And generally speaking, the rules of the game and the logic feel real similar on all the playing fields. Absolutely. How, how
2: much do you think, you know, and this may kind of tie in closer with having a conversation with an employee or a colleague? You know, tennis is a an individual sport, right? So so you can't say hey you know you need to rely on this person in this position you know i played soccer that's that's what i've always played that's my thing so in a soccer you know i can coach because i coach my youngest son which is wreck. but they're just chasing a ball around the field there's no organization to the game just yet they're still learning yeah. but anyways you, I can tell them, like, hey, you need to support this player in this position so that they have something to lean back on. Mm. You know, in tennis, there isn't that. I've never played tennis. The, I've watched tennis. I used to watch Wimbledon growing up. That was my summer thing. And mm-hmm. obviously Netflix puts out a, a documentary, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and I watch that, and that's just amazing because I love that behind-the-scenes stuff. But it seems like even from watching that, like the individual sport, there's so much more of a mental – aspect to it, than than probably any other, you know, golf and things of that nature, where it's individual, where it's just you against you and whatever you're trying to accomplish. How much does that different? Or is it this or or the same, you know, when dealing with, you know, clinicians or colleagues and, and dealing with some of your athletes?
1: So what's interesting, so tennis does appear to be more of an individual sport. So obviously with doubles, you've got your partner, right? So you and your partner are working very strategically, but even in singles, if you zoom out a little bit, like, yes, the actual match is one person against one person. But what led to that match was a team effort, right? So if we, if you, so singles, the way tennis works, at least in high school, there's seven positions, right? You've got one, two, three singles, generally your best players. And then you've got one, two, three, and four doubles. So you've got eight players there and three players in singles, right? But in practice, we've got to work together to make each other better in our different areas, right? So like if someone's backhand is struggling, I need the other players to work that person's backhand and maneuver them on the court to make sure they're getting better in that area so that when they go out and compete, they're competitive. So our team needs to understand that it it is a collective effort to bring this product to fruition individually. So I think that right there is a fascinating challenge and certainly from a team dynamic that's another great learning experience of like oftentimes when one person's out lecturing or one person's leading a course it looks like an individual effort but it's never that it's everyone's collective resources helping that person get ready for that moment and you've got to care about that and want to be a part of that in order to have a healthy team in tennis or anything else
2: Mm -hmm. you bring a great point i mean you don't think of it that way right Mm -hmm. because we all we see is the end product you don't see the practice. You don't see the time put, you know, on the court, off the court, whatever it is, just to get to that point. Yeah. So,
1: and Alex, I, I've got to say this. I, I this is going to date, this is going to age me horribly, <laughs> but remember, <laughs> remember the movie, Rudy Yeah, at Notre Dame, Classic. Rudy Rudiger, right? One of the coolest things about that movie was that he loved the idea of getting the starters better. He knew he was never going to play, but he loved his role. In fact, remember the team got mad at him, right? Yeah, he was yeah, yeah. Hard practice. yeah. Do you know who inspired me the most this tennis season? My JV players who knew they weren't going to play. They weren't going to ever go out on the varsity court this year. They were JV, right? We're a Northern Colorado small towns. They knew they were only practicing to get better themselves and to get the varsity players better. So we had a better chance of winning. And that those who took that seriously, not only won my heart during the season, but won my absolute commitment that in the next three years, they get their shot to be dominant varsity players. And so that meant so much to me. And I think it says so much about that team dynamic and how special people can be in those roles. Absolutely. You you bring that example. I
2: think, you know, currently in the NFL, the practice squad, right? Because they have to. They are the ones, in in essence, that help the starters to to get those looks of the opposing team, to get that feel of what it's going to be like potentially for them come Sunday when they get on the field. Right. So I, I think there's definitely things that we can draw on that. And you make the great analogy of the person who's presenting. Yeah. But all those other pieces that went into play for them to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, Whether it's collaborating on certain sections or just practicing, you know, going in front, you know, play by play or, you know, however, they're going to kind of mimic what they're going to try to do to to make sure that the point is conveyed in, in a clear fashion. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's just fascinating, you know, obviously being a sports junkie, how everything how we can tie a lot of life and and just business and everything to to certain things on on that happen in athletics. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, one thing, the characteristic that his JV um, team members showed is that they're going to show up and they're going to show out and they're going to be consistent. Yep. Um, I always tell people who start off as employees, how you are as an employee is how you're going to be as a business owner. How you show up as an employee is how you're going to be as a business owner. So mm-hmm. you can't half-ass stuff as somebody's employee and expect that you're going to be a great business owner Mm -hmm. and do it fully. Whether you decide that you're going to do it fully, trust me, you're going to end up with employees who half ass shit or quarter ass shit. So just be careful, have that mindset that you're going to show up and do everything that it takes. And when it's your turn, you're going to shine.
1: Totally. And I think as a leader, it's 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 so important that you again it all comes down to communication right pretty much every problem, but going up to those JV players and saying I see you, I see what you're doing, I see that you're showing up here every day in sometimes unfavorable conditions and you're putting out and this team's getting better because of it I see it and don't think I don't value it and what was so cool it's funny we're having this conversation right now so I just did our first open court so the season's over so now we're just practicing oh, okay. the next year right. So I walked up to one of the JV players who did exactly that. And I said, let me see your serve. We are going to start building your serve right now for next year. Like in part of why I was so committed today was she had put out all year. And I don't want to say you ignore their development, but you do focus on the active varsity players because they have a tournament coming up but now it's your turn and and I want them to feel that like you are getting back because of what you did, all of our attention, we're going to develop you and you deserve it. So I think as leaders recognize those people who are playing that supportive role, let them know their time is coming. And when it comes, give them your everything, you know?
2: Great closing, great closing. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you very much, Jeff. We really, really appreciate your time, man. It's a lot of, a lot of, knowledge being dropped. See, and, I,
0: and... I think you will, Alex, express yourself. You see, he's like fully awakened. <laughs>
2: yeah, uh, actually, I, I really am. Once we got into the conversation, man, I'm like, man, I don't need no coffee. I'm good right now. Let's go. <laughs> um, but very much really do appreciate your time, man. And, and working with us. I know you've been real busy and, and we'll continue to be busy. So, uh, wish you the best of luck with everything you've got going on and, in the coaching career and, and everything like that, but uh really do appreciate your time. Oh
1: gosh, yeah, we're you're gonna so have start it again. We're
0: gonna have yeah, to have yeah, you. any
1: any time. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I always love chatting about this stuff, and especially with people who have their hearts in the right places, it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity for me as well. So thank you so much for carving out time.
2: Awesome, thank awesome. you. Thank as you as always, coach so subscribers. Continue to watch, like, retweet, share, follow YouTube, all our social media at the bottom. And we really do appreciate your guys' support. Um, You know, as Mo and myself continue to have some awesome guests like Jeff, and we just keep putting out content for you guys. Uh, Till the next time, peace. Have a good night. Everybody be safe. All right.